0: Hi, everybody. It's the Hear Me Now podcast, which comes to you from the Providence Institute for Human Caring. I'm Sean Collins. On today's program, we want to focus on global health equity, the goal that everyone on the planet can achieve the highest attainable level of health, and that individuals and populations are not thwarted in achieving this because of geography, or social status, or position, or economic resources, or demographics, or their physical condition. It's a noble goal, and it's a huge issue. And the way we've chosen to examine it today is close up, examining one program in one place. We're looking at a family medicine rotation underway between Swedish family medicine in Seattle and the Kamuzu University of Health Sciences in Malawi. We're looking for a macro view of what happens when there's a collaboration and a sharing of human resources, building bidirectional medical rotations where learners are teachers and teachers are learners. A note on geography, Malawi is a landlocked country in southeastern Africa, tucked between Zambia, Tanzania, and Mozambique. Malawi gained independence from the British crown in the early and mid-60s and remains a commonwealth nation today. Malawi's population is upwards of 20 million people, the vast majority of whom live in rural areas. The economy is heavily based on agriculture. I'm delighted to introduce four guests who are gonna join me in conversation today, two of whom are visiting Seattle from Malawi. Dr. Amos Mailosi, Family Medicine Registrar at the Kamuzu University of Health Sciences. Dr. Charles Hassan, also a Family Medicine Registrar at the Kamuzu University of Health Sciences. Dr. Anna McDonald serves on the faculty at the Swedish First Hill Family Medicine Residency. And she splits her time between Seattle and Malawi. And Carrie Schoenwald is the program director for global programs at Providence. It's wonderful to greet all four of you. Thank you for taking the time to chat with me. Welcome.
1: Thank you so much.
2: Thank you so much for having us,
0: Carrie Schoenwald. Let me begin with you. You, the program director for this effort, if you jump on an elevator with somebody and someone asks you what it's about. Tell me what your answer is.
3: My answer is that Providence as a system is always focused on equity and health for a better world. And our department global and domestic engagement focuses on achieving this through community partnerships around the globe and by leveraging the the talents and skills of our own caregivers to partner deeply with those communities particularly in Malawi, we uh, were given a great opportunity to join in a partnership a number of years ago. And we knew for many reasons it was the right partnership, but chief among them was the tremendous focus on reciprocity and equity and the drive of Anna McDonald and other visionary founders of the program to absolutely do all that we can to redress systemic inequities through this work.
0: I said earlier that... Our goal today is for us to talk about the clinical ways this program bears fruit, how it makes a difference um, at the bedsides in Malawi, but also in Seattle. But I also want us to talk about the cultural impact on how people practice medicine, how you care for patients, how you think of yourselves as healers and your relationship with your patients and your colleagues. Should we start with the impact in Malawi? Dr. Mylosi, what has your experience of the program been while you were practicing in Malawi?
1: So in Malawi Family Medicine is a new specialty. Uh, We have four people who have graduated. So being new and also being a specialty, which is based at a district hospital, as a specialist, you see many, many patients that in other settings, you didn't expect a registrar or also a uh, a specialist to be seeing but the impact has been positive because our system at the district, it's mainly the uh, clinical officers who usually have three years of training. Without a family medicine resident or a specialist, these have been working alone doing most of the things. And to reach a specialist consultation, we have to call uh, a verified district or refer there. So our presence at the district has changed a lot, has helped us to strengthen the system, to have opportunities of uh, teaching the uh, clinic officers and also to bring the specialty medicine to the patient at the district that would otherwise uh, not reach it if we are not there. So I think the impact is yeah, positive yeah, in summary like that.
0: Yeah, yeah to clarify a term, um, when you refer to a registrar, I think in in the U.S. system, we would say a resident, is that? Yes, exactly. It's a holdover from your British colonial past, right? Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Dr. Hassan, what's your experience with the program?
4: Just to add on what Dr. Myros has said, uh, as family medicine registrars, now senior uh, residents, we act. Uh, in addition to being a consultant, also uh, act as uh, tutors, and also we are involved uh, in the community-oriented uh, primary care, whereby we go to the communities, like we go to where the diseases are coming from to see what is really happening for the diseases to happen. Uh, so we go to health. We what we, call, we call it a health center visit. We identify a patient, and we go to the uh, to where they are living to see. They determine they the other determinants of health so in doing this we tend to uh, to do more further promotion and health prevention something that the clinic officers at the district hospital don't uh, don't don't do and uh, just also a background information mangochi is a big district it has more than uh, 1.3 million people so us taking the medicine to the community it, it helps us to uh, to do the, the health promotion and the prevention part of uh, medicine that was lacking uh, previously. Uh, some another thing that also have um, improved the patient care is the family medicine clinic that uh, we are doing at Mangochi District Hospital. So we see the complicated cases that the clinic officers uh, they have they were man- managing, but now they have deficiencies in knowledge and skills, so they refer those patient patients to us. And so doing, like when they come, when they leave a patient, we we do also teach them, uh, the, when they bring the patients, we teach them while we are at the same time, we are treating the patient so that maybe they have the knowledge and the skills to do the same with other patients that they will be seeing in future. So yeah. in a nutshell, family medicine at mangocha has really uh, brought a positive impact and, uh we don't have data like actual actual data research-wise, but subjectively, even the Mongolian population really appreciate the presence of family medicine in the district.
0: Dr. Uh, Anna McDonald, what, what's your reaction hearing your, your colleagues describe the program?
2: Gosh, it's um, just a tremendous sense of pride and um, gratitude for Having been involved in watching the program grow from when it started, um, I initially went to Mangocchi in 2015 um, when our first class of trainees was there, and they have now all graduated, and some of them are holding leadership roles in our department, and they're all still involved, and to watch them go from a place where nobody really knew what family medicine would look like in Malawi because it is a specialty that is adaptable to multiple different contexts, and so there was a lot of questions from, you know, our colleagues in the Ministry of Health, the clinical officers, um, that Charles and Amos have mentioned about what is family medicine and why are these doctors here, and to watch it go from this place of um, not really sort of knowing what it would look like to a more and more developed vision um, and a bigger and bigger understanding of the potential. Impact that family medicine can have in Malawi. I just feel so lucky. I mean, every day, every time I talk about um, the work and the program at conferences, people come up to me and say, "How do I get a job like that?" And the reality is, there are not that many of them. There are not that many jobs that allow people to work in in two different places. It takes a really dedicated group of people to make that happen. Um, but I just feel so lucky to be a part of it.
0: It's got to be so gratifying to see a program like this unfold and take root in a relatively short amount of time, less than a decade. Yeah. Carrie Schoenwald, how do you react to Dr. Hassan and Milosi's assessment?
3: Uh, similarly to Anna, although from a much greater distance, because I've never been at the heart of the work in the way that Anna is. Um, but I also feel a tremendous sense of pride and gratitude. I I get to be an insider outsider where um, our organization and our department and our leadership really believes in the vision of this rotation and of the high impact that it can have. And I think everybody, it's a very Providence thing to recognize um, what grace means um, when you can really have an opportunity to impact lives, but but to do it in a way where you are following, not leading, that you are just lucky enough to meet the right people who are um, dedicated to their own communities and have the skills and the brilliance Um, but just maybe don't have the the resources. And so in any kind of global health work, if you are in the position of having resources to bring to someone else's vision and brilliance, um, it is very fortunate indeed. And I have been, uh, I have really felt tremendous grace in the last Four or five years that I've been involved with this work um, both with Anna and her co-manager Dr. Jacob Nettleton and the faculty at KUHS, and of course most of all the registrars and the learners on the ground. And I just wanna celebrate that because of COVID. Um, it's been two and a half years since we've been able to either bring registrars here or send US residents there. And this fall marks the first time since the spring of 2020 that we could do that.
0: What listeners um, probably didn't pick up, there was a smattering of applause around the uh, the table. Um, the The appreciation I think that things have picked up again is um, that, it, that celebration is, uh, seems to be widely felt. I want to talk about resources, but I don't want to get away from this notion that got brought up in the previous conversation that, Anna, you said that family medicine is sort of adaptable to its environment. And I'm, I'm curious if there's any agreement on what Malawian family medicine looks like.
2: Yeah, um, I definitely would love to hear Charles and Amos's input on this as well. But um, to me, uh, a family medicine physician in Malawi is really uh, doing doing it all. And when I say that, I mean um, you heard that Mangochi is a district of over one million people, and um, they are the only uh, doctors working clinically. In, in that district, there are other doctors who are largely in administrative roles because of the way the system is set up. But the family medicine physician at Mangochi District Hospital will do bowel obstructions, they will do C-sections, um, they will go out into the community and do this community-oriented primary care that Dr. Hassan mentioned, which is, you know, visiting a patient in their home. Um, are, their scope is incredibly broad. And I, you know, my personal hope and vision is that as we grow in the number of um, workers that we have or qualified family medicine physicians that we have, people will then be able to choose their areas of interest and say, hey, you know what, like, um, I, I'll give two examples since I have them have the um, luxury of having them here on this, this podcast with me, but like, Dr. Hassan has sort of been a leader in ultrasound care and um, bringing point-of-care ultrasound to the district. And then Dr. Milosi has tremendous experience in HIV care and really interested in mental health. And so, you know, in that sense, family medicine can be so many things. And they really are some of the best trained physicians that, you know, I've had the privilege to work alongside. And so I'm curious how they would answer that question, what their visions are for the future.
0: Yeah. For the two of you who are living it day in and day out, what is Malawian family medicine about?
1: As Dr. Anna has said, I think it's a broad concept uh, because you are like a a generalist, but you're supposed to act as a specialist. And you are supposed to be a a gatekeeper because you are trying as much as possible to make sure that uh, people don't get unnecessary referrals from a district hospital. At the same time, you also have to meet people in their communities. And also, another part, uh, you are supposed to be good with research so because you have to practice things uh, using evidence. And so, it's broad. But also, considering that it's a new program in Malawi, you are also supposed to have enough uh, knowledge of leadership skills because. Uh, uh, both with with the courage and also being at the district, uh, if you are going to be the uh, most senior uh, physician, you are supposed to be more of a leader than just being a clinician. So balancing those roles, it's not easy, but it's fulfilling. But it's not easy.
4: And uh, a little bit of an an addition. I look at family medicine in Malawi and uh, I'll, I'll be like, it's, a, it's a not it's not a boring specialty. Uh, it is you because you, you find yourself, for example, this week you'll be doing pediatrics. The next week you can choose, okay, I'll be doing C-sections that Dr. Anna said. Then the other week you'll be doing research. Then you find yourself the other week presenting in a conference. So. This versatility um, makes us uh, like, also uh, very suitable to be at the district because all these components are there. For example, mangochi, we can even call it a teaching hospital because nurses, nurses, students are there, clinical officer students are there, uh, pharmacy students are there. So we play all this role. No, no one can do all this than a family medicine physician. So I call it I call it not a bowling specialty, and I think we will make we will make a difference than maybe an internist does at the central level. When when we're not saying this, the internist is not important. But in Malawi now, with the way eighty percent of the population living in the rural setting, I think we need family medicine physicians more.
0: Yeah, do you see a way for it to become? Uh, more popular in Malawi is this going to is this going to become more the norm? Do you think or what? Uh,
1: I think it's going to become more popular. Uh, we are on the right direction. Yeah. When it started, uh, we were not recognized by the government, but now, although it's not started yet, but the government actually has got posts for the family physicians. And they are recognized just like any other specialty. When you finish, you're recognized as a specialist. And their target was that in a few years, every district should have a two post for family physicians. So that's a good direction, especially when the most powerful structure, which is government in the country, recognize you as a specialty. Recently, we've also been involved in many important programs. Like a few months ago, last year, rather, it was this year, actually, at, this year. at the beginning, we were involved in um, uh, disaster management uh, during one of the major cyclones in Malawi that involved flooding. But we are the department that was chosen to be involved in the system because of all the specialties, people recognize that family medicine physician or resident was a better place to be involved in these things. So little by little, we are. I mean, in
2: the right direction. Amos, correct me if I'm wrong, but you guys saw something like 2,000 patients um, in the course of a week. Is that right?
1: Yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs>
2: it, they, they're being humble. I mean, the things they do are incredible. Like the number of patients they see, the the care that they bring to people where they are, who would otherwise travel six, seven, eight hours potentially, or not even be able to travel at all because of a natural disaster or, or an illness or whatever it is. So, um, yeah, it's awesome to to
4: continue to watch it grow, mm. and also just maybe to uh, add on that, after participating in the cycle on Anna, we were called by the deputy minister to present the the report of what we did. So, I think this was also another step that okay, now the government recognises that we are there, and we after participation they really called us to see, okay, well, what impact did you do, and what why do you think. We need people like you on the ground. So I think that was a, a plus to us as well, uh, as far as being recognized in Malawi is concerned.
2: And just to clarify, the deputy minister, if if you're not familiar, and guys, correct me if I'm mm-hmm. wrong, but that's like the number two to the minister of health. So it's yes. pretty, pretty high up and um, mm-hmm. important that they were recognized for the important work that they do.
0: That's wonderful.
2: Just as a point of comparison, Sean, I just want to
3: share with you that the first year that we did the collaboratory Um, my department, uh, Global and Domestic Engagement, we also had um, partners in Guatemala. So we brought three Malawian physicians as well as three Guatemalan physicians. And what was so interesting is that they, between them, they just identified so many similarities in their systems and um, sort of challenges and strengths. But what was interesting for me as the sort of insider outsider with both systems is that unlike um, Malawi, at least at that time, uh, there were many clinicians who'd been pressing for years for the ministry to recognize family medicine as a specialty, and it had not happened, at least at that point. And so, um, while it is, you know, certainly uh, in its in its early stages as a as a discipline, it is a discipline, and um, it, it was just so interesting to sort of see that viewpoint with the crossover between those those two groups.
0: Absolutely. We're talking about efforts to achieve global health equity by focusing on a shared residency program in family medicine between Swedish First Hill in Seattle and the Kamuzu University of Health Sciences in Malawi. Doctors Amos Mylosi, Charles Hassan, and Anna McDonnell are with me, along with Program Director for Global Programs at Providence, Carrie Schoenwall. Charles, I'm interested in the use of Ultrasound at the point of care. Tell me about what you're doing and, and how that's working out.
1: Uh, okay. So,
4: for us to, I will, start, I will just start for a little bit of background. Like, for us to graduate in our fourth year of residency, we need to do a, a thesis. So, looking at Mangochi, um, yes, we have uh, problems in uh, diagnostic equipment, uh, but the basics. For example, a ultrasound scan. We have we have a ultrasound scan and uh, an X-ray, but I felt like the ultrasound the ultrasound machine wasn't fully utilized, and uh, I saw a potential that we can take the ultrasound scan to the bedside as we are doing uh, these days worldwide with POCUS.
0: I'm just going to interrupt to say that that POCUS is point of care ultrasound.
4: Yes, yes, point of care ultrasound. Sorry.
0: So, really, at the bedside, so yes. sort of a handheld device.
4: Yes, at a website, so I couldn't just jump into to look into focus. I wanted now to do a needs assessment study to look at ultrasound scan in general, like how to what extent are we using ultrasound at Mangochi? So I'm uh, I'm now finalizing the uh, the paper now. I'm yet to publish, and we have seen that we are really using ultrasound scan at Mangochi. Uh, of course, there are issues that we need to address, but for now, at least, we have the baseline data that we are really using ultrasound. Uh, the interesting thing that we have was we, we noted in the study was uh, most of the indications that we sent the patient to the radiology department to have a scan done were also POCUS. So there is a possibility of us now ruling out POCUS. As you know now, pocuses is uh, have a lot of impact as far as care delivery is, uh, is concerned. So studies worldwide has shown that doing pocus, point of care ultrasound really uh, impact the patient care positively, because you tend to make decisions at the bedside, uh, and also you, you view the images like live. Uh, you are like, you are the one who is doing the scan and it's is, is going to be is easy for you to make decisions upon doing the scans there and then. You can also rule out differentials when, and you can also do uh, ultrasound guided guarded procedures at the bedside. So we see potential in focus uh, in Mangoshi. And the other thing that uh, I, I can also highlight is all, all of us residents, we are being... We, are, we know how to do to use point of care at sound because it has been an initiative of the department to teach us uh this uh, point of care at a sound uh, at sound scanning um, and also we have the priv- the privilege of teaching the clinic officers as, as we are practicing the progress, uh, uh in the uh,
0: admangoji district hospital hmm.
2: can I add one thing to what charles said absolutely there's a lot of studies from Western countries about POCUS and how, how much it improves care, as Dr. Hassan has said, about, you know, making a decision at the bedside and how much that can reduce delays in care. I would say that's exponentially more true in Malawi, um, number one, because, you know, you may be admitted to the hospital and if you previously before ultrasound was there and you needed a chest X-ray You could wait days for that chest X-ray, depending on you know power supply, depending on availability of chemicals to develop the X-rays, depending on you know whether the radiographers around or out doing something like TB screening in the community. So, so you're you're talking about moving a potential diagnosis from something as long as a week to minutes at the bedside. So I just think um, the impact is even more exponential in a context where you don't have sort of necessarily reliable access to other diagnostic imaging.
0: Can we talk about that moment where um, diagnosis could be moved up significantly? Um, it seems like that would have a real impact on the relationship between um, the physician and the patient, that suddenly um, there's uncertainty and then there's there comes a more a focused moment of clarity that allows for a conversation about someone's health and their prognosis. And there's a week's worth of worry on the patient's part that has suddenly not taken place. Tell me about that.
4: So um, I think uh, what from the experience that I have uh, using POCUS, first it brings satisfaction to the patient and the, also the clinician who is doing the, the, uh, the scan there. Because, uh, as Doctor Anna has said, you order another scan. It takes two days. It is, it is it is it is delaying like delaying everything that you thought could we uh, could have done to the patient. But by doing the scan at the at the bedside, you make the decision there and also you inform the patient what's really going on, which relieve the stress. You know, being in the hospital, Malawi brings stress already, the conditions are not as satisfying as. Uh, you can imagine. So uh, you make the diagnosis, you try. You start treatment promptly, and uh, you also really reduce the time the patient spends in the hospital. So it is coming back to the satisfaction of both the patient and also uh, the doctor treating the patient. Because you our walls are full, uh, most of the time is full. So if, if you reduce the time the patient spends in the hospital, you really uh, have also quickly uh, discharged the patient because you have studied the treatment
0: promptly.
3: Sean, can I add one piece?
0: Please go ahead.
3: I was just going to throw in another dimension, just from you know, sort of my my angle, which is more the administrative angle of a program like this, which is to say that for for us as Providence and and our department, this. Um, this piece about POCUS and about the butterfly ultrasound was, speaking of satisfying, was just such a, a, an incredibly bright light in the middle of COVID and not being able to send people because Anna and her her colleague, um, Jacob Nettleton, did continue to go. We did not send residents, but Anna and Jacob continued to spend as much time on the ground as ever so that they could continue to teach and learn and support um, the work that they've been doing all along. And there was just this beautiful synergistic uh, moment, which was that Anna, you know, of course, works very closely with all of her colleagues there and with, along with them, you know, really were very focused on the idea that if they had more butterfly ultrasounds, they could train more. Not only would they have the machines, but of course they would have the ability to train more people to use them. Or go serve more people, et cetera, et cetera, and on and on. And so, um, you know, she requested one from us. And because we were not able to use budget to send people, it was just, you know, this really fortuitous bright light in the middle of COVID. And so we were able to supply that. Mm. Anna and her colleagues continued to build that training. And then along with our partner Seed Global Health, we're able to send another one the next year. So it was like this, this, you know, COVID silver lining. Um, and I just celebrated uh, you know, the relationship that Anna has with everybody on the ground to really deeply understand um, you know, what is needed and to have that that collaborative relationship with, with her colleagues in in Malawi.
0: That's, that's really beautiful. It, it speaks to the value of your longevity in the program, Dr. McDonald, that you've got some history and you you recognize the value that a technological intervention could have. It's it's really wonderful. And
3: she could provide that voice because she she's the one that has the connection.
2: I was just going to say I, I have to give tremendous thanks to Carrie and the um, Global Partnerships team because... From day one, like when you engage in this work across borders, um, with different cultural contexts, um, flexibility is a must and adaptability. And I'm just so grateful to have Carrie in my corner. I, I keep saying everybody needs a Carrie in their corner because, um, you know, priorities change as, as family medicine grows and changes and, you know, who we have on the ground grows and changes and we are recruiting more registrars into the program. And so our needs are always changing and, and just really grateful that she's been such an advocate to, to meet us wherever we are and with what we need to make it happen.
0: Yeah, it's great. Dr. Amos, tell me about your work with people with HIV.
1: Yeah, uh, HIV is still a problem in Malawi. Uh, prevalence has gone down from more than 20 to 40. Now it's a bit less than 9%, but most of the districts these numbers are higher, like Mangochi is one of the district that has got higher HIV prevalence. Also of note from the past, um, HIV and other related programs like TB, they've, been, uh, they've had like a vertical approach to managing of the patients. So it is not uncommon in Malawi to find a clinical officer or a, clinic, a clinician who is very good with HIV management but who is not good with management of other things like an incommunicable disease uh, and other problems that HIV, people living with HIV may also have. Now with the introduction of anti therapy, which has been working, people are living longer. Our life expectancy has moved from 35 to above 63 now. HIV, people living with HIV are presenting with more problems than HIV. So the vertical approaches of HIV management may not work. So my satisfaction and also my goal in the program. As a family physician still interested in HIV, I'm going to bring that aspect of not just treating HIV, but integrating the whole program, seeing the patient as a whole, not as HIV case. So this, I think, can best be done by a family physician. And also it's removing that uh, vertical approach of managing uh, diseases. It's more of a like horizontal approach, like treating everyone, CDs, infectious diseases, integrating everything in one clinic. So that's my area of interest.
2: I was gonna ask Dr. Milusi to speak as well, because he is, has an incredible gift as I've watched him in the program um, for, something that we use when we teach family medicine in Malawi that's called the A3 approach to patient care. And the A3 is biopsychosocial. And so much of medical care that's delivered in Malawi is taught in the purely biological model. This is the disease. This is how you treat it. And Dr. Malusi just has like such a gift for getting at the psychosocial issues, which we often know are the biggest drivers of healthcare. Um, and so I was hoping he could speak a little bit about that as well. Yes. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So that is actually part of the principles of family medicine. So you cannot just treat HIV or CTB or malaria, you're supposed to treat patient as a whole. So that has always been my interest and also part of our practice. Just as I've said about HIV, uh, that's also why we go into the communities. For example, as, uh, my thesis for the this program, it's not about particular disease or about something. It's just about how do we break bad news to our patients. So even that aspect of communication is very important. And also in different cultures, it will mean different things. For example, in medical schools, internationally, I think we learn the same way of breaking bad news. But how it's done in America or some corner of the world may be different with how it's done in Malawi. Even in Malawi, different districts may have different cultures, so the same communication may be may have to be done differently in a different setting. So these are intricate differences in cultures and how we understand medicine and how we approach it. There's some problems, how we communicate, is also Uh, of my particular interest uh, other than just concentrating on (laughs) diseases.
0: You know, one of the driving ideas behind this podcast for the last two and a half years has been conversations about whole person care, seeing in your patient a person, not a collection of symptoms. And it seems that, you know, the, the, profound truth that people are living longer with HIV, which means that they're living longer with other comorbidities, and that that brings up psychosocial stresses that weren't there earlier. It's a profound focus on that whole person in community. And um, I I wonder about what, what you all in Malawi are able to teach the folks in Seattle about that.
4: Um, of course, as he said, uh, the bio cycle, so the biopath may be similar, of course, with the technologies that are here are different because we don't have the privilege of having a CT scan at Mangochi District Hospital. But I, have been with them, um, when we are doing the inpatient, the way they approach patients, like, it's kind of the same thing. Of course, the, uh... When we are discussing the patient, we add we just add in a little bit of uh, uh, the social the social part. But the way they practice the psychosocial model, model, I think, is the same as we do back home because family medicine here and back home, it it is it is similar but not the same. Uh, on the social aspect, uh, I think. Here it, it is also being done well because they don't just discharge a patient, but they they think of where these guys are going, who is going to be taking care of these people, and the as for continuity sake, uh, who is going to be following up to make sure that they they are going to finish uh, uh, the the course of the treatment that they have been given, which is almost similar to what we do back home. Also, when the patient comes to our clinic, we think of the patient like, okay, we are. We are writing, like prescribing this drug, are we having it in the hospital? Because we have most of the times, we don't have drugs in the hospital. So are we, is is, it, is this drug available in, the, in this hospital, or, or if the patient is going to buy, how much is the drug? And is the patient going to be able to, to buy the drug? Are there other alternatives that we can give the patient? So. Having these discussions here, it, is, it really reflects on uh, how we practice medicine back home, because here the social status is not as bad as back home. But if these guys here are thinking of the social aspect, it makes us also uh, reflect on how we practice the social aspect of family medicine back home, because we all do the same. We need to treat the patient, not the disease. So we can't leave out the social and the psychological aspect if we are uh, to do the holistic approach aspect of family medicine. So we can't. I can't really say we are teaching them. Rather, we are teaching one another.
3: <laughs>
1: uh, just okay. uh, thinking back in Malawi, I think uh, our lack of resources, like investigations, CT scans, laboratory tests, and other things sometimes, As a common test as A1C, uh, it's not easily available in Malawi. I think that has strengthened the Malawian system in terms of other capacities. For example, for you to reach a diagnosis in Malawi, you really have to be very, very good with your physical examination. You have to be very thorough in taking history, because if you miss these things, you don't have uh, more options for... Investigations, so I think that is what I haven't seen here. Understandably so, because as uh, part of the up is going to be in uh, com- complemented by the investigations. So I think that aspect we is the knowledge that would also bring when examining the patient and also taking the history.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, other things would be the difference in epidemiology. Here we've learned a lot about things that we don't usually see at home, like uh, substance abuse, mm, uh, things to do with uh, minority communities, uh, things that are present in my but we don't talk about it. Mm, and other than any communicable diseases like uh, diabetes and uh, hypertension, uh, heart problems. But also when we came, I think we shared our... Um, knowledge about infectious diseases. TB is common here, but it's not as common as in Malawi. <laughs> we hardly see malaria here. Uh, HIV may be prevalent, but may not be as prevalent as Malawi. So our knowledge of infectious diseases, I think, would also be important here. So that's what we, we brought. So it's been a two-way process. We brought something and we've learned something.
0: Anna, you're nodding. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, that is absolutely my my favorite part of this work is how much each side has to learn from the other. Um, and, you know, I would always say that I definitely learn infinitely more than I teach when I go to Malawi. Um, and, you know, it's just, it's just such, such a privilege to sort of examine a problem from a completely different lens. And I think it makes both sides a lot richer. Mm.
0: Tell tell me what you did today.
2: This morning, one of my colleagues called me and said, you know, had an interesting sort of rare case that presented um, related to uh, a, a child with TB. And my colleague said to me, you know, I think maybe you've seen more of this than then certainly I have, but probably more than a lot of people have here. So I wanted to pick your brain about it. And I was like, well, yeah, I've seen a lot of TB, but oh my gosh, this is perfect because Charles and Amos have seen exponentially more TB than I have. Um, And so, you know, I I talked to my colleague and then quickly sent a message to Charles and Amos. And I was like, hey guys, what do you think about this case? And, um, you know, they asked me for the x-ray and stuff and we were just chatting about it. So, you know, it's, it's, it's part of what makes family medicine so special is this sort of like attitude of collaboration and everybody has something to bring to the table. Mm -hmm. Um, and it just reminds me that every day, you know, the practice of medicine is a team sport and that can feel really hard and it's felt really hard through COVID when we were all so isolated. Um, but the joy that I find from, you know, Talking to to colleagues, whether it's here or in Malawi or ideally both, Um, it just makes care so much more enjoyable for me and so much better for the patient.
0: I wonder what the family medicine residency in Malawi can tell us about caring for under-resourced communities in the U.S.? Um, I'm thinking about rural communities. I'm thinking about inner city, urban populations, new immigrants. I, I mean, it seems like there would be a lot of folks in the United States who would benefit from this sort of practice being more available.
4: Yeah. I mean, if I can just add one from, uh, from the um, – we are doing a global leadership uh, – global health leadership course. So we have the privilege of uh, meeting uh, other residents. Uh, some of them are global fellows uh, in this uh, in this training. So one of them is in Alaska, yeah. which is the rural. From the explanation, he said it is a kind of the rural, like we can compare that to the Malawi setting. Of oh, course, I'm it is good. better than Malawi setting. Malawi rural. So, but the way he is also a family medicine uh, a, a graduate a resident who is who graduated so he was like you know i am I'm, I'm working in this place i'm doing some procedures that i couldn't have been doing here because there is no surgeon there there is no somebody who is obgy specialist there so i was well i was specialized and it you know it gives us the uh the potential of doing some things that people that cannot even imagine us doing. So, if it is working in the U.S., I think family medicine really was really designed to uh, to the, to places like this where we don't have specialists to, to do uh, the actual surgeons to see those complicated cases. So, I think the facility the versatility of family medicine really suits
1: uh, this local setting.
0: Is there a Pan-African interest in this movement?
1: Yes. the certainly is one, there's interest. So my program started like uh, 2008. Yeah, the first year undergraduates were in 2011, and the postgraduate program started in 2015. But the South African program is very old. Actually, our program is copying um, most of the things from South Africa. There's a Zambian program. There's a Nigerian program. And in different settings the goals are different, so the curriculums are a bit different. For example, in Nigeria, most of family physicians they are in big cities. Well, the Marine program and South African program is really targeting the rural communities. But in Africa it's like uh, there's a growing interest. There's a growing interest in family medicine.
2: There um there's a group called Wonka which is like the World Association of Family Physicians um, and there's an a group for Africa called Afro one.
4: Yes I, I want to say one thing before we go it, it, it can hit me if I don't say it uh, So the, the, the other thing that I like about this uh, this exchange problem is we uh, back home we did a read things for example uh, the things that we read in books that exist in this world that we, we 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 don't know when to see them when we come here we really see the new, that medicine being practiced you uh, for example uh, those investigations uh, those uh, imaging that we see in books we we come here we really see uh, them being done and. It really makes medicine, it, things make sense. Like, okay, I think we are not dreaming, these things really happen. When we go back home with the residents here, they say the same thing like, okay, so medicine can also happen when the things are limited like this. This thing, I think, makes me say, I think this by direction thing, this by direction uh, program needs to continue so that. Uh, we can enrich both uh, both sides with knowledge and skills uh, of how best we can uh, balance up uh, the practice of medicine.
0: It's so impressive what you all are doing. Let me let me just go around the table and ask you for like a final comment on on the conversation, but also on on where this goes next. Anna,
2: I have. Just such great hope for the future of family medicine in Malawi, for the future of continued cross cultural collaboration. I've, you know, there's a lot of work, and I've been working in global health for a long time that's really rooted in this old model of um, people who don't know a lot about a context going over and um, becoming experts in a place in a field that they've never set foot in. Um, And, you know, putting my toe into a world that was so different from everything I had known just really shifted my perspective on medicine, on humanity, on life in such a positive way. And kind of like what Dr. Hassan was saying, that we each just have so much to learn from each other, and sort of rethinking where our balance and priorities are, and that back to what Dr. Mailosi was saying earlier, that that it's always about that one patient sitting in front of you and the reminder that um, it's, a, it's a human being who knows more about their life than we're ever going to know. Um, but the ability to sort of take that big picture view of um, this is a culture or a place or a space and time that I don't know a lot about, like i carry that with me into every patient encounter. And I'm like, this is a person who I don't know a lot about and how do we find common ground and what can I bring to the table and what can I learn from this person and how can we work together?
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Amos? Uh,
1: thanks. Um, the program um, has had its programs, uh, uh, but uh, it's more fulfilling than it's a downs, downside. Uh, I would say that being a family medicine resident and soon to be a family medicine specialist, um, I can see the future of Malawi and the future of the whole world, actually, because most of the world population, uh, it's in the developing countries or in the areas that cannot be reached by specialists. So I think this is the direction that the whole world should take if you're going to achieve universal health coverage, because what we need is primary health care provision that uh, focuses not on a disease, but on the whole patient, their communities, uh, psychosocial aspect, and everything as a patient. And with this, by, by direction, relationship, it's also uh, given us opportunity of having a bigger view, a broader view of global health uh, and appreciating how things are done in different settings. So I feel so mm-hmm. off the now, actually.
0: <laughs> Charles?
1: Mine would be
4: uh, thanking uh, Swedish and Providence uh, organization for letting us know Dr. Anna. Uh, as she she have seen the program like growing from the baby steps, and now we can proudly say that we have four graduates, and yet to have three other graduates next year. So she has been a core uh, component, uh, driving us, teaching us, driving the whole program, teaching us all the basics that we have now. So thanks to Swedish for. Letting her go to Malawi, and uh, we need more of uh, of uh, doctors like uh, doctors like her uh, to make the difference that Malawi needs. And also thanks to uh, to Carrie for making our trip here uh, a success. And for sure, we have learned a lot. Something that we're going to deliver back home.
0: Carrie, final thoughts.
3: We live in a time of great opportunity in terms of the growing awareness of the gross inequities that exist across systems. And this is particularly relevant where global health partnerships are concerned as global health as a system was founded on colonialist ideas, which were foundationally racist. And so that system has both at turns created inequities and attempted to redress them. And for this reason, all that the global health community does now really needs to be done through a lens of decolonization, uh, dismantling of the system as it currently exists, in which we support leadership that is happening from within communities, their priorities, their goals, their execution. And additionally, the democratization of knowledge is really critical which is both the funding for and also the access to things like global health research needs that, that need to be centered on the countries where that research is happening. And just as an example of this, our very own Dr. Amos Milosi has published a paper on his work and he was not able to access the paper that he published from Malawi and actually purchased it here. And I know that sounds small, but it also I know sounds quite profound and imagine that writ large. So while we always have more to learn and ways of how to improve the ways that we partner, Providence Global and Domestic Engagement is incredibly proud of having supported 20 US Family Medicine residents over the last four years to go to Malawi to learn and teach and to have hosted the first seven Malawian trained Malawian Family Medicine doctors to come to the US to learn including, of course, um, Amos and Charles. And this bi-directionality is one of many starting points for Providence Global Programs to be a part of redressing inequities and working together toward help for a better world. So on that note, I just want to say how incredibly thrilled I am to have had this opportunity to speak with this group who um, are true heroes in my mind and are um, phenomenal leaders of the future in their country.
0: Well, I'm grateful for your help in putting this show together, Carrie. My congratulations to you all. It's impressive what you're doing and equally impressive how you're doing it. I've enjoyed the conversation very much. Thank you all.
2: Thank you so much for your time. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much. Carrie Schoenwald is the program director for the Global Programs at Providence. Dr. Amos Mylosi is family medicine registrar at the Camuso University of Health Sciences in Malawi. He and Dr. Charles Hassan, also a family medicine registrar, are in Seattle at the moment where they are training with Dr. Anna McDonald, who serves on the faculty at the Swedish First Hill Family Medicine Residency. Dr. McDonald splits her time between Seattle and Malawi. Hey Charles and Amos, can you guys suggest a Malawian musician that we can listen to as the program ends? I greetings to that, Amanda.
1: Um, no, Dream. Uh, Dream. <laughs> What's the song? <laughs> mojo. Dream. Uh, this is a very good artist. Yeah. It Mojo by Dream. Mojo by Dream.
0: <laughs> All right, Mojo it is.
5: Look at the lady, so classic. She's a pretty lady, fancy. she deve- she moves, oh. She debates deve- my brain.
0: The Hear Me Now podcast is a production of the Providence Institute for Human Caring. It's produced by Scott Acord and Melody Fawcett. We have research help from medical librarians Carrie Grinstead, Seema Bakhta, Sarah Viscuso and heather Martin. our theme music was written by roger neal the executive producer is michael drummond Ooh,
5: oh, mommy no worry, can you put on put it on the low?
0: Magic like Mojo, oh um, like my Money by pleasure can you put it on the low oh, oh, oh. mojo. Um, mojo. 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 mojo by Driamo, new music from Malawi. We're back in two weeks with a conversation about life and love and loss. Tembi Locke will be here to talk about From Scratch, which debuts on Netflix this month. Thanks so much for listening today. I'm Sean Collins. Be well.